right, let's see how we go. And if we, we fuck up, we'll just edit it out. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just cut it till we look good. We'll just cut it. What is up, everybody? I am Jason Trost, the host of Business of Betting Podcast. I've invited Brad to come back on the podcast. I really like the format of us kicking around the news of the week and being able to jump into topics. And, you know, Brad and I really come at this industry from very different perspectives. So I find it really interesting sharing notes and having debates. Um, so I thought we'd have him come back on and kick some stuff around. So the first topic I wanted to talk about, uh, which made the news a little bit, was Amy Howe at FanDuel talking about the percentage of their customers using uh, offshore books. You want to kick that story up um, for the audience who, who are not familiar with it, Brad? Yes. So obviously, the entire US industry has been at um, SBC this week, and there's a load of panels. And one of the one of the tweets that came out of there was that Amy Howe, CEO of FanDuel, said, 25% of offshore users um, were not getting paid, essentially, which is obviously faintly ridiculous. Um, and, it, and it prompted a lot of people to go, oh, why, why don't you just be better instead of slating your competitors without real statistics? Um, now, obviously, there, I think there's a few things going on here. One, like it's, it's a tweet, a live tweet from a, from a panel. So, you know, like... The panels themselves, <laughs> the, the, the speakers are often not that accurate because they're just talking off the top of their head. Then you've got a reporter sort of trying to listen and, and write down what's being said as well, which is not always accurate. Um, and I, I think it was kind of reported later that, that she got that stat from Fandu had done some research and they'd found 25% of offshore users had at some point had some trouble getting paid out, which is obviously very different to 25% of users don't get paid. Um, but I, I also thought it was worth talking about the whole offshore argument, because as I say, the, the immediate reaction everyone does is, oh, just do a better product and offshore will go away, which is, I think, somewhat unfair. Um, and you can probably speak to this as well, just given the costs involved, in the, especially in the US, right? So number one is market or license fees. So you, if you want to work you, in New Jersey, you've got to partner with a, a casino and you've got to pay 10, 20 million a year to Ocean Resorts or whoever. Mich same in Michigan, same in Pennsylvania. It's like you have to pay eight figures in 20 different states or whatever. Um, and you've got your, you've got your, your taxes, you know, 51% in New York, 35% in Pennsylvania, 0.25% of, of handle goes immediately to the federal government as well. <laughs> taxes the, we should mention are just gambling taxes. That's in addition to state, local and federal taxes. As well. Yeah. Um, and then all, all the compliance stuff, which yeah. again, or, offshore books just don't have to, to talk about or think about, um, you know, AML, KYC, all, all that stuff. You have to pay someone to do it. You have to pay for official data. Anyway, the, the point is you have just have this massive cost base. So you can't run your business at like a, a 2 3% hold um, because <laughs> you're not going to make enough money. Well, they already don't make any money. Um, <laughs> so to just go, oh, just, just, you know, take bigger bets and be better. I don't think it's quite that simple. So, so maybe I'm the wrong audience. I didn't think that quote was that offensive. Like, I mean, it sounded like a big number and, and it, you know, 25% probably does sound high, but I'm sure it does happen. Well, cool. Yeah, cool. It happens. Yeah. Um, so what, so like the sentiment is directionally correct. Maybe her number is wrong. And uh, why, why shouldn't she throw shade on the offshore books? Fuck well, she, she should. It's, it's uh, the backlash is always 
it's always the, it's the limit problem, right? It just comes up literally time and again. It's well, offer bigger limits and offshores won't exist. And do you think it's that, as simple as that? You think that it's like that's the it's, my understanding. I've never used an offshore book, uh, to be honest. But my understanding of the the illegal market is that the main benefit they have is credit betting. So you don't have to put up the money until you know you do a settlement weekly and and you get a certain amount of credit to bet with. I didn't think that limits uh, and prices were the key benefits. But what's your understanding of of that market? I I, I agree. I think that there's a few things. So credit betting is obviously huge. You know, being able to bet on futures and stuff without having to put the money down. I think the fact you can do some more unusual stuff. You know, you can take bets on the presidential election as well, or um, you know, <laughs> the, the push-ups bet during the pandemic. That was quite a famous one, where obviously the, the offshore books immediately put that out, and you just can't do that as a regulated book. But, but I, do, I do think the, but the. I mean, that's not really. F- I mean, to defend regulated sports books, of which I'm one, of course. Like it is, it is illegal for a sports book to take a political bet. So I mean, it's really, you know, it's the it's the illegal bookmakers taking advantage of of not operating in the in the framework that the uh, that's intended in the American market. Yeah, uh, but I, I would say the the biggest issue is limits and restrictions, and just a lot limits of, a lot being something. like the the U.S. regulated sports books will take uh, less risk. Yes, exactly. And have you ever? You're primarily based in the UK, right? Do you, yes. Do you ever bet in the US or not really? Uh, I think that would be illegal for me to bet in the US. No, but, I mean, you know, when you're, do you go to the US to bet? Is, is what uh, no, no. Okay. But, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> we've all seen the uh, the complaints, right? Yeah. On, on are, are your accounts restricted in the UK? Yes. Um, do they but, tell you or do you do, do they just tell you when you try to place a bet and, you, and, you're, and they say you can do 50 quid or something? It's all different. Um, some, I mean, everyone gets the dreaded account, <laughs> your account, subject line, email, which normally portends uh, that it's dead. Every, everyone's different. Some will just close it entirely. Some will knock you down to 200 takeout, then 100 takeout. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, everyone's different. I mean, I, to me, I think the restrictions are fine. Like, okay, you can take 200 quid out. I think that's sort of fair. Yeah. Um, I don't. They, you know, you're not going to send them out of business doing that. You're not going to make a load of money doing that. But you can have a little bet if you want to. So going, I mean, going back to you know the the the, the people who are complaining about what Amy said, we're essentially saying that uh, be better, and then you won't have to throw shade at the illegal sports books. Um. You think? Do you think that's fair criticism or unfair criticism? Well, so as I was saying, I think I think it is a bit unfair because you do have to run your business at a higher margin. I also right. think they are trying to be better in the US. Like they, they're if you look around at the minute, they're all people like PointsBet partnering with Nelly Analytics and Banach Technology. Um, there's what's it called Deck Prism is partnered with Huddle Technology. They're probably going to be integrated with some more operators. There's a lot more companies. I think partnering with sharp groups, these syndicates, to try and improve their pricing, right. and therefore, in the long run, take bigger bets and bigger limits. Um, you know, we, we spoke about Susquehanna two weeks ago, and that's that's like the whole that's their whole thesis. Yeah. So, I do think they're working on it, and 
you know, in the UK or in Europe, because tennis and soccer is is so tight, generally the, the pricing, the limits go up. So I think it's probably headed that way in the US and, and limits will naturally get bigger. So I think probably regulated books would agree that it's a, it is a problem. And yeah. I, I heard um, there was a podcast, Jason Jason Scott of from MGM, VP of trading there. He was on with Spanky and he said, you know, that, that is the goal. That's where we want to get to, but we just don't have the tech or we don't have the know-how currently. Um, and it's sort of a, an iterative process. And I, I guess you could you could speak to that from SBK. I know you guys have much bigger limits on on horse racing compared to, say, <laughs> baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't listen to that particular podcast, but I, I, I think the big mismatch is there's most betting companies don't have the right DNA for that. And, you know, this a lot of this M&A with the betting syndicates, I think, is is properly trying to address that DNA shortfall. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the, um, the other competitors kind of pick up their game and, and offer bigger bets. But I, 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 the technology exists and the math exists and the people that can do the math for this exists. It's just often they're not in the right seats at these companies. I don't know. I'm very against the legal bookmaking market. I think two things should happen. One, I think that the regulation should become more common sense over time. You know, I think political betting should be legal in the United States. Um, it is under very restricted circumstances with a no action letter on the CFTC, but it's very it's a very esoteric roundabout way to allow this. So I'd like to see the, the legislation get smarter over time. And I would like to see uh, offshore illegal books being prosecuted for wire fraud and all kinds of other financial crimes that they have to do to perpetrate, you know, their, to offer their service services in, in America. It's re it really, to your point, like speaking from an operator perspective, the costs of being regulated are enormous, you know, between money laundering, responsible gambling, gambling taxes, uh, fees that you pay for data rights, all these kinds of things like the, the, the cost of goods sold as, as you might say, are extremely expensive, uh, when you're regulated and, um, it's, it, it's, it's apples and oranges when you're comparing onshore and offshore. Awesome. Yeah. So matchbook this week, let's pivot to the next topic matchbook this week. Um, I don't know, re-announced or announced a new brokerage service. Do you want to, do you want to tee that up for a discussion? Yeah. So this was maybe a couple of weeks back now, but they announced the launch of their matchbook brokerage, um, which, which has been around for probably a few years now, but I think that, you know, they, they wanted to push it and, and let people know about it for the first time. And it's, it's, it's basically almost like a, a WhatsApp betting service where they set you up with an account. You have to go through due diligence and KYC and all that sort of thing. Um, and then if you want to bet, um, I don't know, to, to take an example that's relevant currently, you want Tiger Woods over Max Homer, round two of the Open. You ping them, say, can you quote me that? Um, and they will come back to you, hopefully, within you know 10 minutes or so with a, with a price, and um, you can sort of fire away at what you want. And you know the way they the way they termed it in the press release was you know this is for punters who are restricted everywhere and who who want a fair bet. Um, and it's it's interesting to our to our point we were just discussing. I was I was talking to a, a black market broker as well recently, um, and they they said basically we we couldn't offer this as a regulated company ourselves because you know we're our our margin for the year is like one percent as a broker um and so you know we, we can do it where we settle up every 15k plus or minus via bitcoin and you know we do it over whatsapp but if we had to become regulated in the uk or whatever um then then we can we just can afford to do it because we don't make enough money on that 
Um, but anyway, yeah. So, but Matchbook are giving it a go, and it was interesting the amount of feedback. I, I tweeted about it a little bit, and you know, over the last couple of weeks, a lot of people have reached out to me and said, you know, what's your, what's your experience there? What's your experience with other WhatsApp betting services, or you know, other ways, to, other ways to just get money down? Um, because while the UK market has gone, you know, heavily, heavily recreational, that that obviously has left quite a lot of people, I think, out in the cold um who are looking to get money down so i, I think it's an, an interesting product and I, I wondered if like if that's something markets would ever look at or, or like is, is that not something you really want to get involved with well from my perspective uh if the exchange is well functioning and and i would say that the, you know there are things that that we should be doing that we're not doing that make a brokerage more interesting i think but from a philosophical perspective, I think if you have a well-functioning exchange, the brokerage should be largely unneeded. You know, the prices should be there. The markets that people want to bet are there. Some of the lane I see for brokerages are like esoteric bets. So, you know, that Tiger Woods bet you mentioned, like you don't really want to put up every permutation of every golfer against every other golfer um, on an exchange. You know, that would just be an insane amount of... That would be an insane amount of permutations to be able to ask somebody to be quoting. But at the same time, perhaps exchanges should be having better mechanisms so that you can you can be requesting quotes and all that stuff can be happening in exchange. Um, I mean, maybe I'm seeing something incorrectly, but I, I think exchanges done properly should be solving most of the problems that brokerages are doing. So I'm yeah. also curious that you know, Matchbook has an, has their own exchange. I'm curious why that they would be pushing things more towards a brokerage or at least highlighting a brokerage uh, op, option next to their exchange option. I think um, to use, sorry, to, to, to use the example of, of Tiger Woods. So they have, they have that market on site, but there's 50 quid in the box. Um, and so, you know, as, as I understand it, they're getting, they're getting, if, if I ask for a price on that, they're basically pulling that from Pinnacle. Like if the market's on Pinnacle or Chris, they will give you the price. If it's not, they're probably not going to give you the price. But as I say, on their current site, there's 50 quid in the box. And, you know, this is, I think this is kind of like minimum 1,000 pounds bet. So as you say, they don't want to put 1,000 pounds each side on 122 golf matchups for the Open because they can get picked off. But if they've got warning, right, this guy wants this, what can we do? What do we make it? Are we off here? Um, and and again, they you know they're they're passing. They talk to a counterparty. Um, you know, people running people running their own risk, or people like Nelly Analytics from Susquehanna who are taking the other side of these bets. And then they will look at it and go, okay, I don't think we're off. Or hmm, is there something we don't know? Let's stick an extra two percent vig on here and send back the send back the quote. Um, so it's it's just I think it's just protecting yourself from still offering a wide range of markets, but without just getting walloped out, out of nowhere, I guess. Yeah. Maybe I'm being like, maybe I'm being too much like technology should solve this problem, but anytime a human's getting involved in, in this financial transaction, I think that there's, you know, it should be solved with technology. Like at the end of the day, like you really don't want humans involved in manual trades. Like that should be the reason why, you know, that's super old school and, you know, that's not why we have computers. The only reason you really want a human is if you're doing something truly exotic. But if the market's on the exchange and there's not enough liquidity, I, I would push Matchbook or whoever uh, to be finding a mechanism so they can put a bigger price up on the screen 
to facilitate that transaction. There's a concept in financial markets, uh, financial exchanges called last look, which has really never been popularized in sports exchanges, but basically it's, uh, it gives the liquidity provider the ability to not honor the trade within a certain trade window. So for example, if I'm making something up, but if I trade uh, sterling dollar pairs and you know I have a print up there that says I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make 500,000 bucks at this price, you know, I get a hundred milliseconds to decide if I honor that price or not. And that's just a way to kind of give the liquidity providers some additional protection against um, information asymmetry and uh, adverse selection. So perhaps exchanges should be looking at more mechanisms like that so that, you know, like they, they could put up a 10,000 pound print at this Tiger Woods and, you know, but they get three seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds to confirm that they want to honor that price, maybe that's the right way to do it rather than, you know, to, it just feels so backwards that we're like, we're going backwards from like some electronic mechanism to, to some human with a WhatsApp account. Yeah. Know, thumbsing it up. And it's slow as well, right? Some, you know, <laughs> they've got to contact a counterparty. The counterparty's got to work out whether they want to take the bet. They've got to come back to you. You, you know, it's going to be yeah. 45 minutes. And if you're trying to do something quickly or you, you want a price, it's really not ideal. So, you know, as you, I agree. If you can, uh, if you can automate it, that is that's 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 what you want. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess no one can. I don't, I don't know. It well, happen. it's. I mean, everybody. You know, the the thing that on the operator side that in, and in it's true in any business. People are really allergic to balance sheet risk. So, you know, like being able to, if you take a thousand pound bet at forty to one, you have quite a bit of exposure to that to that bet. So. Uh, most normal people get really allergic to this idea that within a snap of the finger, I can be getting losing thousands of pounds because I was too slow or got picked off. And so humans have a this kind of pre-built natural inclination to be very cautious, even traders and sports traders, especially sports traders, because you know a lot of the time that when you get filled at a thousand quid on Tiger Woods, like you got the wrong side of the trade. Yeah. So, well, to that point, as I say, the, the the black market brokerage I was chatting to said, you know, they're running at one percent. So, and and that was, I believe, with they were often passing the bet on, so they're heavily profiling the customer. And obviously, if it was a good bet, they would go and have you know five, ten x the stake in global markets. So, you know, if you think you're only taking someone's best bets and you can't pass it on, as I'm I'm, I'm guessing, say Matchbook can't or their layers can't, I, I don't know for sure, then you, you're going to get stuck with a lot of bad bets. And I, I have heard <laughs> rumors of, of Matchbook's previous counterparties just losing a lot of money and saying, no, we actually don't want to, we don't want any more of this. So um, yeah. it's interesting to see how this one goes and how long it lasts, I guess. Yeah, according to the black market uh, 1% thing, what I would say is uh, the, the cost of regulation is increasing. So I would, you know, that is something that UKGC and other regulatory bodies should be mindful of that, you know, ultimately they should want healthy price competition and, and have a regulatory framework that, that, um, that allows that to happen. But at the same time, I do believe that even within the current framework, uh, if you run things leanly and you're careful, you can make money and be regulated at 1%. That's one of our, one of our business hypotheses that that's possible. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree, agree with that sentiment. Now, most 
books uh, are not using technology and they're very people heavy, not don't have enough automation. If you, if you run things very traditionally, like there's no way you can make money at 1%. But if you use computers, um, you can come down. Awesome. One more story I want to touch on before we uh, wrap the pod, the news roundup up. Uh, OpenBet uh, had a retraded price. Um, do you want to set that up for conversation? Yes. So I think it was September last year, uh, Endeavor, which is like the US sort of entertainment agency, they own IMG Arena. Um, they bought OpenBet from Scientific Games for $1.2 billion. Um, and then last week they announced they'd knocked around $400 million off that price um, to reflect the current market, essentially. Um, obviously, stocks are, stocks are down all over the shop. Um, and to also speed closing towards Q3 was, was the other reason they gave there. Um, so, yeah, it was around a 33%. Uh, cut in the price, which doesn't look too bad if you look at some of the, the gambling stocks like DraftKings is down around 80% in that time. So you could argue uh, Scientific Games did did well to uh, get, get certainty on closing with only a, a 33% haircut. Um, but there, I, I thought there were a couple of things worth talking about from that. One was the B2B question in the US, um, which uh, is kind of a debate I've been hearing on, on earnings calls and stuff for a while now, where you see... You see the largest operators, you know, you see the likes of DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool. Uh, they're all, all they're trying to do is buy their own tech. Uh, they've, they've all bought their own tech. They're all like Penn National is moving on to its own technology next year at some point. And essentially moving off the likes of, of Canby um, and OpenBet. Whereas, you know, you, you listen to the likes of, of Playtech, you listen to Endeavor, who's just bought OpenBet, and they go, oh, there's still a, still a big role in the US for, um, for, for B2B suppliers. But I would say that the trend has definitely been the opposite way so far. So I wondered if you had any opinions on that. Um, my, my, my personal view is is that it is, it is only going one way, and the scale of things it, it seems to it seems to favour trying to own everything at the minute. Well, I don't know how much B two B providers are left because you know there, there there aren't that many left. I think most of the big B two B providers have. You know, or a lot of the a lot of the big B two B providers have done M and A deals recently. So I, I don't know. I think it's a function of how robust the new um, new competitors are, are are in the space. You know, the fanatics of the world that you know see an opportunity to basically take their brand and do something in sports betting. I think there will always be companies like that. I don't know how many more companies want to kind of get into the space, but I think that there will always be a lane for B two B. From that perspective, I also think a lot of you know there. I think there will continue to be a smaller B two B market. You know, BetWorks, which was acquired by Bally's, was on the smaller side, and and you know, I think there were about a hundred people, give or take, and had one or two clients live. So I I think that market will continue, but I think this sort of the can be SB Tech size open bet that probably will start shrinking. Um, what I'm curious about, OpenBet has been around for 20, 30 years. Um, I talked about it a little bit with um, with Paul on, on a previous podcast. It's pretty legacy software. Like it powers a lot of sports bets in the industry, but it's really old code. So the other thing that Endeavor is going to need to be really mindful of is there. You know, if you really want to do something proper with it, they're going to have to rewrite it. And Endeavor is like a sports licensing company. It's not a tech company. So it'll be curious if they are able to figure out how to get the DNA to, to upgrade that tech stack or will they have to buy another 
um, another B2B provider to kind of uh, replace the open bet tech with, with another tech. But I don't think the open bet tech that they bought, from what I understand, is, is sort of new, updated code. I think, I think they probably bought it more for access to um, revenue flow and uh, you know, ch- just kind of get them in the game rather than this is the right tech platform for a B2C business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's I think that's a great point. Like they own they own the UFC, right? <laughs> you know, they are they are sports entertainment, sports media. They're not yeah, they're not Google. They're, they're, yeah. They they bought some some old tech. And as I understand it, they bought very old tech. Like OpenBet's yeah. one of the original, you know, OGs in the industry. Like it's old tech. Yeah. And I I did hear some some stuff about um change of control clauses in OpenBet contracts. So, you know, their clients I've not, I've not, I've not no. confirmed this hundred percent, but I heard that their clients could possibly like get out of those contracts now that there's a new owner. Um, and to your point, if if you if you've got concerns that the new owner is is not necessarily going to invest or improve the product, um, you know, would you would you would you take that window and, and try and get out? Perhaps. I, I, and I have no inside knowledge about this deal, but it depends why Endeavor bought it. If they bought it for the tech or they bought it for access to B2B partners or or what, or they just they, bought it to kind of learn. They said to create a one-stop shop with IMG. Um, so, you know, come and, get, come and get your UFC data, come and get your golf data and with your trading and, and sportsbook tech at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, it's I, it's from my perspective, it's a classic, you know, deal of marketing people that have tons of money trying to get into the space. It's a really nice idea, but I think if you don't have the tech DNA, it's really hard to execute very well. Yeah, I, I would I would also say whenever I whenever I go to ISO or SBC or whatever, there is I speak to like five different people trying to build new tech companies for platforms everyone says what you say like oh, the, the tech in this industry is so bad mm. we're working on this we're going to have a, a platform ready but it's going to be a year so obviously it's a tough problem but it does seem like there are plenty of people willing to solve it and, and take on the likes of these legacy platforms well i think i would just keep in the perspective the the gambling industry from in it like the innovation to size of the market ratio is like way off like the innovation is tiny compared to the market opportunity you know if you take any other you know if you let like the SaaS industry really exploded in america so like let's just take payroll for example like there are so many startups that are trying to make payroll interesting easy you know hr recruiting like there's so many startups that are trying to make hr and recruiting easy and uh you know it's because they're big markets and but the entry point is a lot less than sports betting um, and the 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 time you need to scale up is a lot less than sports betting so like there are startups in sports betting it's just it's just tiny compared to what a normal industry would see largely because of the barriers to entry um, largely because of the regulation and largely because it's just a, a, a less understood corner of the technical world. But they're just, even though there are startups, there's not enough money and uh, like, frankly, enough general startups to kind of make big impact in this industry, which is why we see open bet, you know, 30 year, 20 year old, 20 year old technology still being relevant because there aren't enough of these uh, comp- competitors. Yeah, and actually, on that note, the um, I was chatting to some some VCs and you know private investors this week, 
and they they, they said the, the market is much like the public markets you know it's chaos and and everything is down 50 60 percent um deal, deals are being pulled signed deals are being pulled um uh, apparently there was one um one 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 small startup uh who they rang around all their current investors for the round and said don't worry it's been filled by a um you know a big u.s casino operator we don't need you and then a month later the casino operator pulled out and said no nah, we're, we're not doing it market's changed uh, so they had to go go back around and try and uh, try and get <laughs> investors on board so well the rule of thumb is like the deal's not done until the money's in the bank account Awesome, Brad. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, um, Brad from the Legal Sports Report. Uh, joining for us for the news roundup part two. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Let us know in the comments what you think, and catch you guys soon.